unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm fantastic because I get to sit in on a special surprise today, so I'm super excited. Well, me too. Uh, Let's end the suspense and let people know about the surprise. It's direct response copywriter Matt Rizvi. And Matt has worked with famous people known for being strong, independent thinkers who focus on the power of the individual. People like Dr. Ron Paul, the congressman from Texas, best-selling author and financial guru Pamela Yellen, and investment analyst Porter Stansberry. Matt sold millions with his copy. He's founder of dailycopywriter.com and the Daily Copywriter podcast, where I was a guest myself. And when I was getting ready to be in his show, I noticed on his website that he mentioned he uses a, quote, a unique type of ethical copywriting, close quotes. Now, that really intrigued me because I've always believed in ethical copywriting, but I don't think we spend nearly enough time talking about it, whether it's on this podcast or in copywriting at large. So I invited Matt on the Copywriters Podcast to talk about it, and here he is. Matt, welcome, and thanks for being here. Thanks for having me on, David. It's an honor to be on the Copywriters Podcast. I've been listening to the show for a long time. So to have you on my show was a great pleasure. And then for you to invite me on, it was just mind blowing. I'm like so excited to be here. Thanks. Well, it seemed like such a natural fit to me to have you on in the same way that it's totally natural for me to say this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Matt, let's let's talk about ethical copywriting. What is your definition of ethical copywriting and why is it important? Well, for starters, I think uh, I think that's the perfect segue because your disclaimer there, I think, is a great example of ethical copywriting, letting the audience know kind of the the full details and uh, making sure they don't get misled by anything. And when it comes to ethical copywriting, I really look at it. There's two facets of it. Um, for me, it's one picking products and services that as a copywriter, you're going to promote that are actually good for the consumer products that you believe in and are high quality. So that's the, the first part of ethical copywriting is making sure that you're promoting things that you believe in, you, you actually would want to use yourself. Okay. The, the other part to that is when writing the copy, making claims that are genuine, they're based in, in fact, and you're not, uh, you're not saying anything that's just untrue about the products. So those, those are really the two big parts for me uh, when it comes to my own moral compass in deciding, uh, making decisions in copy. Am I picking a good product or service that I think is actually right? Or, you know, I'm not, if, if for example, if, if you're really against global warming, you might not want to promote a financial newsletter that sells oil stocks, for example, sure. or, uh, you know, 
or if you're against uh, the opioid epidemic, you know, selling Oxycontin might not be your thing, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, and then just, you know, making claims that actually fall in line with, with facts, with science, with that have proof and are based in reality, not just hypotheticals. Okay, that, that's good. So in, in a nutshell, being true to yourself and being true to your customers, right? Exactly. Okay, so I'm curious, um, being sort of gray-haired, I would call you a relatively young man, yet you've had a lot of experience in very few years. What events or experiences led you to, to focus on ethical copywriting, to be willing to talk about it? Sure, so I, I got started in copywriting immediately after college, and I was lucky enough to work at Agora and their division at Stansbury Research. And one of the first experiences that I really kind of thought about it this way was there was a uh, there was a company called Truth in Advertising, and they wrote a uh, very damaging report about us. Specifically, they they called out how some of our promotions were using testimonials, and they were going through promotions, and they saw that basically we had these testimonials and. In some promotions, they came from like one person's name, and then on another promotion, they came from a different person's name. And uh, at the time, like our our legal team, you know, said that was fine. Like we were changing people's names for you know their own privacy reasons, but we we also uh, weren't, we weren't consistent about it, and we were also doing things like adding people's location, even though we didn't know their location, like saying, oh. Jack from Minnesota says, you know, but we didn't actually know he was from Minnesota. Again, the, our legal team was like, oh, well, that's not material to the buying decision. But at the same time, it's, it's you know, not, it doesn't make people feel good if they actually knew that stuff. And so. Uh, okay, let me, let me, let me stop because sure. I, I know what you're saying, but I want to make sure our listeners understand. These were real testimonials from real people. They weren't doctored testimonials. That's correct. That's but correct. for privacy reasons, you would change the name. And sometimes the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. So you'd have different names and different testimonials, sometimes different locations. And this um, organization called Truth in Advertising came at you about that. Exactly. Yep. Uh, and so we had a very long talk uh, with the founder and CEO at the time, Porter Stansbury. I, I think he, he, he later came back as CEO, but he, the founder, he got, uh, you know, this was something, this was a, as, this was a very big deal. You know, he sat down all the copywriters. We talked about this. Many emails were sent out. And we decided as a company, uh, you know, we didn't want to just stick with the, what we could say legally. We wanted to go beyond uh, the legal requirements of saying things in copy and making sure that we were doing the right thing by our customers when we were putting, whether it's testimonials or claims or anything like that in copy. So that was, that was definitely one of the, the big things that really stuck with me. Um, and then I think just, you know, later on these days, uh, a lot of the Agora affiliates have just gotten in trouble on Facebook and, um, Agora in general has for the most part, uh, right now been blacklisted from a lot of different ad, ad providers like Facebook and such. So it's really hard. It's really hard for them to get uh, reach now, uh, because of, you know, claims and just getting ads banned. And so that, that in itself as well has pushed me more to you know, make sure I'm compliant and writing copy that uh, everyone feels good about. Okay. Uh, th thanks for being so open about that. And, and that's, that's really worth thinking about, you know, um, whether 
you're writing for a large company like Agora, and I'll disclose Agora Financial is one of my clients, and I consider them very ethical. And of course, you know, there are other people who have different feelings about it, and, or whether you're writing for your own business. And I also have my own business. So I, I know from there, I have a lot of clients who have, you know, medium-sized businesses, seven-figure, eight-figure businesses too. So um, a lot of copywriters might be less than ethical in the way they write. Some of them may be aware of it, some may not. Um, just for listeners who aren't really up to speed on this issue, okay, you've already talked about um, not just doing what's legal, but doing what's right. Um, could you uh, give us a close-up look at what less than ethical copywriting looks like from your point of view? Sure. Yeah, like it, it is a uh, it is a subjective thing, but. I think when I when I imagine uh, copywriting that's less than ethical, I think a lot of times as copywriters we want to avoid disclosure um, when there's when there's important things that should be disclosed that are, are that could be important to the buying decision. For example, if you're in, if you're in the health space and you're you're citing uh, statistics from a, a study, and if the study was done on rats. You know that's a very important distinction to make versus if it was a study based on humans, right? But you might just focus on the results of the study and not actually tell someone, "Hey, it was, it was a study on rats." Um, and a, another thing that I hear about all the time, especially in the financial world, is that a editor's track record doesn't matter. Um, and that idea comes from the fact that a lot of times copywriters can just avoid talking about uh, a editor's actual results and just focus on. Um, maybe you know a strategy that they use, and then talk about other people who've uh, done that successfully, or do like back testing, which is basically like, oh, if you had used his study for, if you had used his approach for the past, you know, thirty years, you could have found this gain and this gain, and really just cherry pick all that stuff. So it's really up to the. I mean, the copywriter can make someone look as good as they want, uh, regardless of the person's actual results and and. The results of that that the customer will actually experience. Oh, that's great! So you mentioned the whole thing about ethics is subjective, and I agree. Um, people have different definitions, different boundaries, different ways of looking at it. I'm really interested in yours. Could you walk us through a promo you did and share maybe two or three decisions on uh, uh, copy decisions that you made? to stay on the right side of being ethical. Sure. Uh, and I would like to say too, that I think there's people will probably think that some of the stuff that I do might not be ethical. You know, like, like I said, it, it's very subjective and you just have to follow your own moral compass. Um, when I was writing a, a promo recently, it was for a, a product where the editor recommends these really, really small stocks. Um, micro cap stocks that are like under $150 million in total value. So they're really tiny, and but they have tremendous upside. And I was fortunate enough where the the editor who I'm, I'm working with, he actually does have a really good track record. Um, so I, I, I didn't have... When, when making those decisions about all the examples that I would really include in the promotion, I, I got to... I really tried to avoid using hypothetical examples like Hey, if you had gotten in on Uber before it went public, you could have made X amount of money, right? Because like right. none of these editors actually got in on Uber, 
you know, copywriters just imply that, oh, if you sign up for the service, you're going to get on the next Uber, you're going to get on the next Airbnb or uh, Slack or something like that. But uh, so focusing on his actual track record and using the real examples, which meant, you know, getting on the phone with him and, and spending hours on the phone and learning his actual trading history um, and then focusing on those. But, you know, some of them weren't always fantastic, I think. So, so an example was in the, in the lead of, of the promo, there was a, he had this massive gain that he saw. He got in on a, a private placement opportunity. He invested his own money in the stock. Uh, within two months, it was up 35x after it went public. And a lot of copywriters would have just left it at that. Oh, he, he invested, uh, went up 35x. But uh, the editor who I was working with didn't actually, when he sold, he didn't lock in that 35x gain. So in the copy, I also disclosed, yes, it went up 35x, but when he cashed out, he made an 1100% gain, which 1100% ain't, ain't nothing to sneeze at. But you know, yeah. I, I wasn't just going to, I didn't just focus on the 35x. I also wanted to make sure that we disclosed, since this was a real trade with his actual money, the, the real gain that, that the editor made. Um, that's that's great. Keep going, but I just want to tell you that's great. And and you're right. A lot of people would say, "Hey, man, this guy made thirty five x on his investment and just leave it there because that's the most impressive thing." Y- you know, um, I, I do want to hear about more decisions, but something's occurring to me. I think there's sort of a balance between the most impressive, awesome thing you can say on the one hand, and the most fair minded authentic disclosing thing you can say on the other hand don't you feel that um a lot of people don't pay as much attention to that yeah yeah absolutely i mean as a copywriter you you do want i mean i i obviously still still cherry pick i'm not talking about the big losers in this portfolio and and i'm I'm not i mean it is copy so I, i wouldn't call the copy completely objective you know evaluation of his track record um, but especially when you're working with someone and, and it was a, a real trade and he actually did close out the position, uh, you know, that was, that was just part, that was just a line for me of where we wanted to make sure that that was disclosed. Um, er- everyone has to make their own decision on that. But, you know, I think if, it, if there are real trades like that, um, again, there were other parts in the copy too, where, you know, just when talking about with the editor, there were, there were, uh, recommendations he had where. The, the gains were really big for subscribers at first, but he, you know, when he he didn't close out the position at those big gains, they ended up like crashing afterwards. But and we we disclosed that in the copy, and you can frame that and position that in a way where it's uh, where it doesn't sound like terrible. Like it, people did get to see these huge gains, uh, and the fact that it crashed later on after he even locked it in isn't relevant. So I mean we. We still talked about the big gains he made. People locked in their their uh, trade, and then the stock still crashed later. We we told people that, but the fact is, people still made a lot of money on the trade. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't. I don't I don't think it hurt the copy like that. It if anything, I think it increases the believability because I don't think anyone believes that all the trades that people are going to make are just going to go up to the moon and never come down. Um, so I think it builds trust with with the listener. Which is also just as well when, when dealing with these really small, tiny investments, we also wanted to make sure we were disclosing, hey, th- these are risky. Um, a lot of these may go to zero, but some will go to the moon. You know? And so having kind of an even-handed approach like that and 
having some respect for the intelligence of your your audience and knowing that you know with risk comes reward and you shouldn't put all your money into you know just one or two stocks you know i think that positioning in that way makes it more believable it makes you more credible and i think it doesn't hurt the copy nearly as much as a lot of people think it does hey let me ask you a question does it take you too long to write your copy and if it does have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie-cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven, too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. I'm reminded of a promo I went over on a It was an Agora copy call, and it was this just wild, wild wild-ass promo for foreign exchange trading um, that had done very well in ClickBank. And one of the things, and I'm probably going to get these numbers a little wrong, but the essence of what I'm saying is right. Um, One of the claims in there is you can between double and quadruple your money every week. So I thought, I don't know with compounding how true that's going to be. So I, I'm not the best at math, but I think I figured it out. I, you know, basically took two to the power of 51 or something like that with a thousand dollars. So if you start with a thousand dollars and you doubled it every week, you'd end up with something like $277 billion at the end of the year. Um, that's not very believable. Right. And why, why is a person selling info products if they're, they're making that much money? Now, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so I, I do want to talk about mentoring. Now, I'm a mentor. I know that you have cubs that you mentor also. Um, and I was wondering in terms, especially since you are freely and I would say correctly admitting that ethics is in many ways, a very subjective and personal choice. What are some tips and guidelines that you share with them to stay ethical? Sure. So there's two kind of benchmarks and they're a little similar, but the way I like to think about it is if if the customer knew the full truth behind your promotion, if they knew everything that you knew about what you're writing about, if they knew the truth behind the claim and the things that you may not be disclosing, would they be angry? Would they be upset? A lot of times, uh, you know, when we're kind of pushing that that line, you know, I think the the answer is yes, and they would be disappointed. And you know, that that experience that I had a long time ago with truth in advertising, you know, if you if you're doing that kind of stuff, eventually some things will come out, and people will will be upset, and it can really harm your credibility. Um, so just thinking about it like that, assuming that people will find out, even though you don't think they will. Um, and the other, the other thing I just like to think about is, you know, if I gave this promotion to my grandmother and she read it, you know, would she be proud of me? 
so I think I think those two things, you know, if the customer knew all the details that I know behind the promo and the claims, you know, would they be angry or disappointed? And would my grandma be proud of me based on the copy that I'm writing? If I usually follow those those two guidelines, uh, my, my copy is pretty safe. Yeah, I really like those because it still keeps it in the realm of the personal. You you sort of own it. You know, if, if customers found out how would I feel um, if if everything was out there, if my if someone in my family, my grandmother, you know, found this out, um, would I be ashamed or would would she be proud of me? I think that's a really good way to look at it. Now, I, I want to talk. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I guess this would be called to give the devil his due. Um, I want to talk about the upside of unethical copy. You know, in the short run, it can bring in windfalls. If if you make claims that are simply not true, but very appealing, if you leave out huge chunks of stuff, you can make a lot of money really fast. But in the long term, sometimes, usually, there are consequences. And I recently heard about a guy who was a household name in direct marketing, not in the financial business, but more in the business opportunity space. About 20 years ago, uh, he got hit for a few, huge fine with his marketing and he's all but disappeared from the scene. Um, so could you talk a little bit about short-term profits versus long-term profits with ethical copywriting and also, and I think we talked about this when we met for coffee because you live in San Francisco as I do. People should know that. Um, not that it matters, but that's how we met for coffee. Um, the short-term versus long-term profitability and the, I would call it the extra mile you have to go sometimes if you're holding yourself to a consistent ethical standard in order to make it work, in order to make it convert. Yeah, absolutely. So there, without a doubt, you know, being more aggressive with your claims and pushing that ethical line can help you make, you know, increased conversions. You're, you're probably going to have a promo that, you know, may will likely do better in the short term in bringing in whether that's, you know, new front end names or, uh, you know, back end promotions that sell tens of millions of dollars. Um, but you got to balance that. And it's hard as a copywriter because copywriters aren't always incentivized to do what's in the best interest of the business. You know, we, ha we get royalties. And so that those are usually uh, either on gross or net refunds. So if it's net refunds, then you are thinking, okay, I want to make sure that the claims are tame enough where when someone signs up, when they do see the real track record, that they're not going to immediately go out and cancel. I've seen plenty of very aggressive promos on the back end go out that were luckily net refund and they did very, very well at the beginning, but the refund rate was through the roof and the copywriter didn't make nearly as much money as uh, they thought they would. So it creating incentives that way I think is important, but yeah, it's definitely easier to be aggressive with the claims and to go out and just think about, you know, the biggest possible, the, the best possible way you can position something or um, I, in, in finance, you know, just looking at uh, the, the anomalies in the marketplace that you could just highlight, uh, whether that's like, you know, these tiny startups that go to the moon, even though those won't be the experience of the, the customer. Um, the, the challenge really 
it, it's definitely much harder to be more ethical in the copywriting because it takes a lot more time to find those stories that are true and real and legitimate with your your uh, your customer and your client and in digging in and finding those ones that are just as attractive but they're also based in reality so as I was mentioning earlier you know basically anytime I, I start writing a promo with a client I sit down and I will get on uh, at least spend at least probably two hours on the phone with them on a Zoom call like this where I record everything and I want to know their life story. I want to go way, way, way back, you know, their their hero's journey. I want to know every single example of, you know, profitable trade that they've had, how they found out about it, the exact situation. You know, when I wrote the promo I was alluding to earlier, it was just littered with uh, all these real examples of of trades he had done that were were hundreds and thousands of percent gains and i didn't i didn't have to you know have hypotheticals for those but because uh, you know, to find those i had to spend a lot of time actually talking with the client um, and really following up with them on, on questions when i when i first started copywriting one of my mentors at Sansbury, justin gershwin he had he was one of their, their he still is one of their their best backend copywriter and uh, one of the skills that I noticed he had, he was just able to find these details from speaking with editors that that almost like no one else would find. And it was really, I could tell it was just he was a great interviewer and he had the skill to ask the right questions and then follow up with those questions to get down into the nitty gritty and find those gems that really can uh, carry a promotion instead of just, you know, I think a lot of copywriters don't spend enough time talking to their clients and instead just kind of go out on Google and find these examples that aren't really relevant or true to the actual product they're, they're writing for. Yeah. Um, so there, I, I love everything you just said. I agree with it all. And I, I just want to add a couple things um, sort of about, well, not add, but like follow up on um, a couple things. One is the, the copywriter who's good at interviewing. I mean, I've been interviewing people for 50 years. Okay. Like when I was in high school in the newspaper and I've gotten better at it over the years. I, I mean, I would hope so. I'm, I am a slow learner, but I, I get there. And, and one of the things I I've found is, so there's asking questions. That's like step one. And some people have trouble with that. Step two is listening. And some people figure if I can basically fake listening, I got it. But step three is making the person feel like they're being heard. And I don't even know how to describe how to do that. But I know that when you do that, that's where the magic happens in an interview. Any, any thoughts yourself? Because, you know, to spend two hours on the phone with somebody um, where, where you're actively asking about their life and thinking about it, that's a lot of time. And you, you should probably be getting great dividends from those conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And it could be mentally exhausting, you know, to not just ask the questions, but have that active listening approach and constantly be thinking of follow-up questions that are relevant to what the person just asked. Um, and, and it can be challenging because often the customers and clients you're working with don't really know what makes good copy. And so there might be a story that they think is just boring. They don't think it's relevant. Um, and they, they might just be sitting on this gold mine um, and not getting to those details. 
So being able to ask, you know, just very open-ended questions where you kind of get them to feel comfortable and share the things that might not um, sound intriguing to them, but are really the the gems that can make or break a promo. Okay, that, that's that's really good. The other thing I want to say is, I'm wondering if there are some people who are very practical, they may be ethical people, but they're very practical and they're thinking that um, we are um, actually standing right now on the street corner of Ivory Tower and um, Happy Abstraction. But I want to take this conversation right across the town to the corner of, of commerce and finance because there's a saying among people who've actually made money, it's not how much money you make, it's how much you keep. And usually they're talking about taxes or investment. But what I'm talking is about refund rates and a paid stay in club fed. You don't really get to keep the money if the customers want it back or if the government has other ideas for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like you said, it's easy to talk from these ivory towers and, and be very principled if you know you don't necessarily have skin in the game. But on that, on that same, uh, the other side of the coin, like you said, if you're incentivized by refund rates, then you do have skin in the game. And it's much more important that the customers are happy. Also, just as a copywriter, you know, you have to think about the long term business of the client you're working with. If you want you know, re- recurring business. If they if they get the shorter than the stick, where they, there's a lot of money up front, but it really damages the credibility with their list, they're going to be much more skeptical about working with you in the future. And and really, businesses want copywriters who think about what's in the best interest of their business. And if you do that, then they're going to compensate you accordingly. And also, just specifically with publishing business, info publishing, the business is really based on recurring revenue. Um, you know, you, you get people in the door. Most of the time, you're not making money on that front end sale. You're breaking even, and you're hoping that they buy a, a newsletter that's going to bring in money, not just for right now, but uh, for years to come. And if you write copy that uh, doesn't fulfill the promises that you you make in it, and people feel like you're a sleazy salesman who just wanted that quick buck they're not going to stick around and you're going to be on this treadmill where you're constantly having to bring in new names just to, <laughs> just to burn them and churn them. Um, and it can really be put pressure on the business, the business owner and the copywriters because they feel like uh, you know, the list is constantly shrinking and then they have to keep growing it and, and then monetize the list. But everything works better when you have a, a, a big, happy customer base who wants to keep spending money with you year after year. Yeah, well, thanks. I, I, I feel like together we've made about the best real world case for ethical copywriting we could. And, you know, for people watching and listening, now it's up to you. You got to decide. Um, Matt, you have a website called dailycopywriter.com. That's correct. So that's, uh, you can get my, I write an email newsletter and that's published daily, as the name implies. So you can sign up there. I, I give out uh, daily copywriting tips. And then I'm also launching a podcast, which David is on. Depending on when this uh, broadcast actually comes out, it might already be launched. Uh, it's coming out any day now. So uh, yeah, if you'd like to sign up for the list and get alerts on when the new podcast episodes come out, dailycopywriter.com. And then if just if you're interested in working with me in a professional capacity, you can just check out more information about me as a copywriter at mattrizvi.com. Yeah, M-A-T-T-R-I-Z or Z for our British friends and Canadian friends, V-I 
com. And um, yeah, we'll put that in the show notes too. So people can find it there in case they're driving or, you know, sitting in their zero gravity tank, watching this on YouTube above their head or something like that. All right, Matt, thank you. This has been wonderful. I really appreciate it. Great. Yeah, I've had a blast. Thank you so much, David. Until next time, if you want to get more episodes of this podcast, you can check it out over at copywriterspodcast.com and we'll catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.